Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. guys welcome to another edition of the nomad strength show i am ross hillier your host and we are finding out what is essential to success for men doing it the nomad way stripping things down and making what's important important and today my guest is ray zingler of zingler strength and conditioning zingler fitness he has a couple of different branches of his work that he coaches people in and strength and conditioning and fitness uh this was a super fun episode for me and one of those episodes where as I'm talking to him and this is the first time we've talked in person, you know, outside of DMs and stuff uh, and, and messages and texts and emails and that kind of thing. But the first time actually having conversation over the phone, it, you have those moments where you realize how similar you are to someone else. And this was one of those days for me where I realized that uh, Ray and I are extremely similar people. So there's a chance that I will be bringing Ray back on a couple more times just because it's fun to talk to him and we can get into some stuff uh, and because we're so much alike. So it was a great episode. Uh, one of the reasons I brought Ray on is because he is a mastermind when it comes to training youth. And I think there's only a few guys that I would put on his level of how well they do it and the methods by which they go about it. So we get into a lot of that stuff. Uh, but not so much the X's and O's about, you know, do this with this, with this type of kid, do this exercise. It's more about the why. Why do we train kids the way that we do? Why is it important for them to be strong? And, and you know, why do we teach them at a young age? And then also there's the conversation of how do we handle the parents that want to put, uh, you know, their kid in year-round AAU sports and never take a break from a single thing. And we get into that whole conversation, which a lot of you may have kids that are in that age where that's becoming a topic of conversation for you and your family. And so Ray's got a lot of great insight on why maybe that's not the best thing for them in terms of athletic development, but also uh, the mental and emotional side of things as well when they grow up and that thing and that sport is no longer a part of their lives. So we get into a lot of great stuff here with Ray and it was a great conversation. Like I said, I'm going to definitely bring him back again because he's great. Uh, when we recorded this, it was actually the day of his son's second birthday. And just to give you a little bit of info about Ray, uh, one of the, the presents that he got his son for his birthday were his own training of barbell and a little sled for him to drag up and down the driveway, which I've seen him do several times in the couple of weeks since we've recorded this episode. He's posted it on Instagram. So, uh, And his son is a jacked little dude for being two years old. Our kids are about the same age. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Ray Zingler. All right, welcome to the Nomad Strength Show. Today we have Ray Zingler. How's it going, doing brother? Doing well, man. Doing well. Glad to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm glad we finally uh, got a chance to to get on this thing and make it happen. I was pretty pumped when uh, we were able to do it because I've actually, I can't even remember how long it's been that I've been following your stuff and what you're doing, uh, but I feel like it's been a long time. And then I listened to, we were just talking off, off air about the... Uh, 
Stornex pod that you did a while ago. And I listened to that one and I was like, yeah, when I get this thing going, and this was a year ago, and I was like, when I get this podcast going eventually, whenever it is, like he needs to be on this thing. So I'm glad you were able to make it no, happen. I love it, man. When you reached out, I was certainly, certainly privileged to be able to add some value to hopefully your listeners and be able to chat about yeah. some things we have some similar interests in. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the f- main reasons I wanted to bring you on is because what you do as far as your coaching expertise, and I'll have you talk a little bit about how you kind of came to this point, but you do a lot of work, at least what you post a lot about on social media. I know you work with adults as well, right. but a lot of the work that you do and post about is with youth athletes. Right. And I think as a concept, that is a very under delivered population of athletes that get real strength and conditioning programming and coaching. So give a little bit of like how you came to that point where in your coaching now you, that's where you wanted to go and and work with those kids. For sure. No. And I'll just kind of give you a little quick background story on how it all started. Back when I was in middle school, you know, my dad is a college or was a college football coach for long, long time. His dad was a college football coach for a long, long time. And, you know, his big thing about football was youth, you know, in order to play the game, he saw the biggest issues were the lack of preparation. And it wasn't that they needed to squat 500 pounds or deadlift X amount of weight or anything like that. But he knew the physicality aspect of the game and putting these seventh, eighth, ninth graders in to football pads and telling them to go knock each other's brains out without any sort of preparation just didn't didn't sit well with him. So he got the bright idea to take our unfinished basement was I was, you know. 14, 13 years old, and he converted it into a micro gold's gym. I mean, squat racks, lap pull downs, cable crossovers, you know, the whole whole kit and caboodle and uh, started training me. And he said, you know what, your eighth grade year, I don't want to coach you in high school because I believe in having other people coach, you know, your kids is very important. But in eighth grade, I'm going to I'm going to take the reins and we're going to do it right. And uh, anyway, he put out a little flyer to our eighth grade football team that we're going to run a strength and conditioning program in Gary Zingler's basement. And I'll be damned if 30 kids on that team didn't show up for our first session. We thought we're going to have 10 people. And, you know, dad was very, very bare bones. You know, we squatted, we pressed, we pulled, we did all the fundamentals. And back then there was no Instagram and no Facebook to kind of try to one up everybody. You know, dad just kind of said, I know it works and this is what we're going to do. And I'll be damned if we didn't become one of the most strongest, powerful teams in eighth grade football for of course that matters. But anyway, going through high school, being trained by my dad, who is a very, very minimal, slick Rick, just do the damn work and get out of there type mentality. That's how I that's how I grew up and how I learned. And then when I got into college, I knew I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. I didn't know if I wanted to go the college route or if I wanted to start my own business. But, you know, dad had this opportunity. We had this basement gym that, you know, nothing fancy. It was a bunch of hand-me-down equipment, but mm-hmm. I knew what he did and I knew how he did it. And it was so simple. And that was the beauty of everything is like, here I am 18 years old. And I know how to operate a strength and conditioning business, you know, with the bare bone fundamentals. So I kind of took the ball and ran with it. And as Instagram started getting popular and you started to see all the crap, for lack of a better term, that people are exposed to, you know, I just always had this mentality that dad did this simple, simple stuff and it worked wonders for us. I'm not going to drink the Kool-Aid and get into all the razzle-dazzle that everybody does for for likes and attention. And I'm going to stick to the fundamentals. And it's funny because the further we get from my youth days of learning myself, the further away we get from the fundamentals. So I'm kind of taking that against the grain, you know, modality and saying to myself, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go the other way. And it's really served our kids well. And I think the parents of the kids that we're working with, you know, the ones that know, they know, and the ones that don't know, they're going to go jump on the, on the speed and agility trainer and all the, 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 the flash for lack of a better term. But, that is the best term. Fla- right. I mean, flash and crap. Is, right. I mean, you said for lack of a better right. term both times. Those are the better terms because mm-hmm. that's what they are. No, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Cool. Well, so in that when you started the actual training business yeah. side of things, how old were you when you actually began coaching people? I was I was 19 or 18 years old. So I graduated yeah. high school in August of 2009. 
or excuse me, I guess it was June 2009, whatever it was. And um, right. I went to a local community college. And the beauty of it is dad, after he started training us in eighth grade, he kind of, the bit, he didn't have any intention of running a business. He said, I'm going to help kids right. work out and whatever. Well, basically the community caught wind of it. And dad, who also owns a flooring company, was running his flooring company from eight to four in the afternoon. And then he was running a strength and conditioning training business, you know, from four to 7 p.m. most nights of the week. In our basement. And I trained with the guys. I watched my dad train the guys. So so basically, it was almost one of those things. I don't want to say that it was handed to me, but it got to the point where dad said, hey, I can't can't serve two masters. I can't operate my flooring business to the best – you know, of my ability as, as, as well as the training business, Ray, would right. you be interested in taking on a couple of clients, you know, cause he was slowly kind of letting the volume go down on purpose because his flooring business was obviously the main driver of his income. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it hell. I'll go for it. You know, I, I was a meathead and I love training. I didn't really know if I wanted to train people, but I said, what the hell, you know, I have some free time yeah. I'm going to community college on purpose um, because I knew I wanted to either work with my dad's business or work in my own business. I wanted to stay close to home. Not that I was afraid of going away to school, but I was, I've been a serial entrepreneur, you know, I've mowed lawns and washed cars and done all that stuff my whole life. And I knew I wanted to stay close to home so I could, you know, kind of get into the, the work after school program. And, and that's really what I did. I went to college in the mornings and I trained athletes and kids in the, in the afternoons. And, um, you know, it started out with three kids, three kids turns to six, six to 12. Now I got 25 kids in this little basement and here I am going to college. And the reason I'm going to college is so I can get an education and get a job and that, that whole deal. (laughs) And now I said to myself, I can make several hundred dollars at 4 PM or I can go take intro to exercise health and college at four o'clock. And I said, I'm not letting, I'm not letting pennies get in the way of dollars. So I ended up just, you know, chasing the, the entrepreneurship strength and conditioning route. And really from 21 years old, I've, I've never really looked back. The first couple of years were just, you know, figuring things out. But really when I turned 21, 22 years old, I was full tilt, you know, your typical 80 hours a week up at four o'clock in the morning, not going on vacations with my family. You know, I was, I was going a mile a minute. Um, and I had no sense. I didn't know what I was doing. I was hell bent on passion and I was fueled by what I grew to love, which was sharing my passion with other people. And then it wasn't until an accountant called me and said, Ray, do you realize how much money you made last year? And I, I, had, I had no idea. Here I am going to, yeah, the, I'm no. going to the ATM and sticking the little checks in the thing and, and right. just 4am ready to, you know, squat, you know, the whole thing. Right. And then exactly. with age, you know, I'm 30 now, 24, 25, I really started to get some mentorship from the business perspective and things like that. But uh, nice. so, yeah. so it's been since 19, I'd say a actual business owner, probably from 23 to 24 years old, but I've been in the game ever since I, I graduated high school. So. It's really interesting. And, uh, in what's actually going to be the first episode of this show, I talked to Anders Varner, yeah. who's the host of Barbell Shrug. Yeah. And we had a, a pretty cool conversation about the idea of like all of the coaches that make this the career, right? Make this the life. Like, cause there's a ton of people that start personal training or coaching people and flame out in two or three years, you know, but the, the ones that stick it out, it's actually more of a personality thing. And there's a ton of similarities, like in those types of people, like hearing you go through all that stuff. I was just drawing back on so many similar experiences. I mean, even just the, the age we started lifting, like, I mean, most people that make this life, we, it's because we hit it at that sweet spot of like 12 to 14, when we, when we started lifting and and loved it, found out that we loved it so much. And then we hit those similar peaks and valleys. Like when I was working in the big box gym, I was there for a couple of years and then I left and I was kind of like doing the same, my own thing, not really knowing what I was doing, but I was just training people sure. in this random space. And then I went through that like first couple of years where it wasn't a business. Right, right. And then I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm now married at this right. point. Like I need to make this a business. And then we go through all of these same peaks and valleys. So there's just so many similarities in the coaches that when you make it a career, you find like 
it's a lot of kinship with people like that. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's so funny that, you know, when I was starting out, I looked up to these guys, you know, Zach Evanesh, who I'm sure you're familiar with and Joe oh, DeFranco yeah. and all these guys. Yep. And I, I, I lived and breathed everything they said. And again, here I am as, as a fanboy back in the day, learning from all that old mm-hmm. school, hardcore stuff. And now on the DVDs, oh, which kids don't even know what I DVDs know. are anymore. I have them all. Like, and, and, <laughs> I got them all too. And now it's just cool to be able to call those guys that I looked up to forever friends today. And I constantly, Zach is somebody that I chat with regularly and nothing changes. What you see with him is what you get. And the same type of concepts that you just spoke about, you know, he was lifting rocks in his backyard and then he was in a one car garage and he was just doing the work, doing the work, doing the work. That stuff, you can't fake it. And, you know, so many young guys come to me about what equipment should I buy? What space, what this, what that. Mm -hmm. And I said, man, you know, it's not that you can't make something happen, but what needs to drive you is your passion for serving other people. I think that that's so important and everybody wants to get caught up in the sets and reps. And I don't want to sound like an idiot that the methodology isn't important. It obviously is, but I think at the the very foundation of what we do, it's servicing other people. And and that's really what it is. And if you don't have a passion to serve others, your ability to withstand length in this field is very, very diminished because I tell, I tell a guy that's working with me right now, Jared Long, who again, started training with me and my dad in this basement, who's now kind of my full-time floor coach at the gym. We will burn out on sets and reps before you can blink. It's not the sets and reps. It's the person with the barbell on their back. That's who we're, that, that, that's the passion. That's the fire. And, And if you can learn or at least have that mindset of service over everything, that's one thing that I've never burnt out on is service. I've got tired of squats and jumps and presses, but I've never got tired of seeing somebody through a personal growth or development stage in their life. I've I've never, I've never ran dry on that. And that's what I try to implore to a lot of people. I think that's such an important point, not only for the people that are listening that want to be coaches, but even just the people that maybe have coaches, that some of this ancillary stuff that we think matters the most isn't as it isn't as important as the effort absolutely you know it's not absolutely. about how many sets and reps and stuff one of my favorite and, and the way he put it was so beautiful in my mind as a coach but julian pinot who runs uh strong fit brilliant coach yeah. uh he had a he had a phrase one time that i heard him say and he said it's not about teaching the squat it's about teaching that person to squat amen you know, amen Every single person is going to come to you with different baggage or different things. And Absolutely. you have to understand and actually know that person. So, I mean, like if you're a coach, the, the person you're talking to is far more important than the program that you're giving that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing that happens, man, is so many people, they can memorize, all right, feet shoulder width apart, toes pointed slightly out, exactly. knees track outward, sit back, chest up. What the hell does that mean to a 13-year-old that can't tie his shoes well? You know what I mean? So again, or even a 23-year-old that's never squatted before, you know, I think obviously micro-dosing your coaching Mm -hmm. is very important and having good bedside manner. Anybody can shout out the general bullet points that I just mentioned, but it's taking this person and you know what? He's not going to get it right today, but let's get his feet right today. And then tomorrow when he comes, let's get his feet right. And then now let's get his knees right. Then let's get his hips. You know, I think sometimes people, they want this, you know, you, you know, the world we live in, it's instant gratification. You know, we've got to get to X right now. No, no, you don't. It takes time. Mm-hmm. And that's what people don't want to invest is the time and the understanding of the process. You know, everybody wants to shout the quote, you know, fall in love with the process, but really right. they're just giving it lip service because all they want is the end result. And that's where people don't, they, they don't get it. The end result isn't, isn't what we need to glorify. It's, it's learning to yes. fall in love with the process that gets to the end result. Because I tell, I tell people, okay, when you get to X, when you get to where you're going to want to go, you think you're just going to throw in the towel and say, Hey, I did it. I'm done. No, you're going to be looking for the next thing. So I think fulfillment, and I know I'm going off on a tangent, but I think, do it, man. I think fulfillment has everything to do with learning to love and understand the process behind development and not getting to the end goal. Because I, I truly don't believe there's an end goal until we're put in a box and, and lowered into the dirt. Absolutely. So, and that's such a cool way of thinking about it because if I, 
and I'm connecting with this very personally right now because I, I made a post recently and, and I'm actually not sure date wise when you and I's episode is going to end. But, uh, at this time this week, I just started, uh, training jujitsu. I've never, oh, cool. awesome. never been involved in any kind of martial arts or anything like that in my life. And this morning when I was at class in the 5am class, uh, the teacher, there said, uh, this is what I love about jujitsu is like, it never ends when you're a black belt because you can never master jujitsu. Amen. Amen. He's like, I, that does, you can never master this. Sure. And so like, even just that little phrase applies to everything. Oh, exactly. Like what you're saying. Absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's no end point when like you and I have been doing this the same amount of time, pretty much like we're pretty much the same right. age. I mean, it's been over half of our lives. Right. There have been people that have been doing this for, you know, like guys like Zach Evanesh, right. I've been doing this for 30 plus years and he's he would still say like yes there's absolutely stuff i'm still learning and trying to get better at but the the process part of it isn't what's sexy right like you're not ever seeing pictures of people on facebook and instagram talking about their process right for sure it's like because that's not the the, you can't see progress from day one to day three they want the day 700 post you know what i mean and they know it that's the click plate that's the likes that's what they're going to get and yes and again and that's why, you know, I'm very, very frequent with my posting. And it's, trust me, I tell people all the time, you know, some of the best coaches in the world, and this isn't to toot my own horn, but some of the right. best coaches in the world don't have the biggest followings because a lot of what they do yes. is very simple and it's very basic and it's not going to, it's not going to grab your attention. The reason I'm so active on Instagram and Facebook or whatever it is, not that I'm trying to shove my modality or my mindset or my thoughts in anybody's mm-hmm. face, but I practice what I preach. I do very, yes. very simple things and I do it every damn day. And you know what? You may yep. not look at a post and say, wow, he didn't balance on a physio ball and, you know, <laughs> shut one eye and do a, a leg press, you know, you know, something's crazy. But hey, this guy, if you get on my page and, you know, I tell this to my, my trainer who works at the gym as well. If you get on, I want your page to look like a movie and you can scroll back. You think this guy's posted 3000 times because he's not invested or believes in what he's doing. So again, I, I'm not after the likes. I'm not after trying to get every, every person to to follow me or believe in my way, but I know what works and that, and hard work still works. So I'm going to showcase that and it may not be the most attractive thing, but that's all I know. I'm a pretty simple guy and I'm not very smart. So I'm going to stick to what I know and try to do it to the best of my ability. Dude, we are, I'm finding out we're strikingly similar. I love it. I love it, man. (laughs) So, so with, uh, to, to keep going with this in, in the, in the conversation of this instant gratification, I mean, you're working with kids that have never known anything else other than social media world. Absolutely. Right. I mean like the kids that are middle school, high school were literally born into it. So how, how do you manage that with them and try to instill that? Don't, focus on this crap over here. How do we instill those basics? Like, how do you go about that? For with sure. Them? And it's an ongoing challenge, you know, because you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. That That's all they know. You know, that's, and again, their mm-hmm. minds are not developed to be able to see past that. Hell, look at even people our age, they still drink the yeah. Kool-Aid and they still jump into yep. that. But I think the biggest thing is leadership and trying to do things the right way and trying to show them that, Hey, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to be able to get through to them by next week. But if you continue yep. to preach that message of doing the little things and showing up on time and all those unsexy things that are the actual answer, eventually I think it starts to catch on. But, you know, the problem is we'll do whatever at my gym, which I would argue is the basics. And then the gym down right. the road, then I'm not saying any names or knocking people at the end of the day. People need to do what yep. they feel is right to you know, improve their business. And, and again, I'm not naive enough to think that my way is the only way, but they'll see something, whether it's the gym on the, down the road or their favorite professional athlete do X. Mm-hmm. And I say to them mm-hmm. all the time, you know, if you're getting paid to play on Sundays and you want to do X, go right ahead. But right now, right now we're still in the process of, of, of putting our socks on the right way. So again, I just try to make it simpler. And, you know, my big thing is what I call training economy. And I got the term from Joe DeFranco, which I think it applies to a lot of things. He basically says, what are the, what are the 
biggest bang for our bucks, bang for our buck things that we can do in our life that provide the maximal effect without the and the minimization of risk. And I try yes. to say to the to the guys, let's be excellent at the basics instead of being half ass at the complex. And again, they want the fun, they want the cool, they want the music and all that stuff. So what I try to do is I try to appease them on environment. So what I mean by that is, hey, we get after it in the gym. We got the music cranking, the mojo's going, everything's, you know, we're getting after it. But then Mm -hmm. the the implementation is the fundamentals. You know, I think so many times guys get super complex with the exercise and they pay no attention to the mindset or the, the end of Individual, it's like, let's make you do this funky ass drill to hopefully get us a bunch of likes on social media. Well, I'm going to do the simple yep. drill with a quote unquote badass environment to give them that fix. But then we're just going to implement the, the fundamentals. So I think that helps um, for them to get that little 15, 16, 17 year old Billy badass mindset, but yeah. not at the expense of A, doing something stupid or B, risking injuring themselves. So it's, it's definitely a fine dynamic because, again, you get a bunch of 15 and 16 year olds in the gym and play elevator music and, and don't have any energy or any environment behind them. It's they, 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 you got to give them something. I'm just very strategic on what I give them to make sure right. the main thing stays the main thing while still being able to, to bring the juice, so to speak. I think one of the most important parts about that experience, like creating the environment, like you said, is that it's an environment that they're actually physically in, right? Absolutely. We That has so much more power in that moment for those kids, like doing the, the boring stuff, but being really good at it, but having people around you actually, instead of these people that live in this little box in our pocket that we don't know who they are, that for some reason we've put more value into what they think. Right rather than the people that are in the room with us or even on our team. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's exactly it, man. And that's the thing. We train a lot of the people the same way. I don't want to say that it's a cookie cutter program because obviously working in the private sector, you've got to be able to adjust on the fly and see customization and understand that certain individuals need certain things. But all of the training is bare bones simple. You know, we, we, I, I say there's nine things that we do. You know, we sprint, we jump, we squat, we push, pull, carry, you know, all, all the basics. And everybody does that maybe in their own way. You know, we might have a person right. barbell squatting and a person, person goblet squatting. But right. there's, no, there's no advancement to where I've got some girl over here doing some crazy exercise. And then a younger peer is like, oh my gosh, I want to be able to get to being able to do that. I like to make the connection where she might be doing a heel elevated goblet squat onto a box because she's brand new to squatting and then see another girl in the, in the rack over there doing barbell squats and then being able to tie that connection to that older girl and say, look, once we master this, you're going to be right there too. And, and, and you can make that connection versus if I had her doing a rear foot elevated barbell, single leg squat on a BOSU ball, you know, not only is that stupid and is that unsafe, uh, th- th- there's no rational connection there. So I, I think, you know, to be able to use our younger athletes, or excuse me, our older athletes to provide an element of mentorship and kind of yes. a leadership aspect to them, it gives our younger kids some something to, to shoot for. And at the end of the day, it's not, it's not far out of their reach because it's, it's, it's very simple. It's just the next progression. Right. So, and I think at that point too, one of the things that's really beneficial for those younger athletes is, you know, throwing them into those exercises or those situations, even that the older athletes are doing, all that's going to do is discourage those younger athletes, for sure. you for know? Sure. And so what you're also doing by scaling it back all, you know, in the obvious sense of doing things that they are physically ready for at that point, but you're instilling and building confidence because they're seeing that they're able to do these things still and, and see progress over time. And then before you know it, like you said, before you know it, they're right there with those older kids doing stuff anyways. But if you throw them right in at the beginning with all the older kids, they're just going to get bummed out. And they're like, well, I can't do any of this stuff. Why am I here? For sure. And that's the, that's the first conversation I have with parents. You know, I'm, I'm not the flashy guy. I'm not the guy that's going yeah. to advance your kid just for the sake of advancement. You know, I'm in the business of helping people improve. And despite how unsexy or how unadvanced that is, at the end of the day, 
if you come here and you're a two out of 10 and we get to a 2.6 out of 10 and then a 3.8 and a 4.9 and the needle is moving in the right direction, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do more just to do more. You know, that there was a quote, I think Dan John, who's another strength coach out in Utah, said yep. more, he said something, uh, it was great, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw it up here, but he says more is not better, it's just more. And it's a very simple, yeah. simple quote, but I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's absolutely right. To me, I would rather wipe off all the crap away and do what I know works and then be able to validate that by the growth of the of the individual, whether that's in the weight room right. or on the field or on the court. And at the end of the day, all that other noise, it's it's just noise, you know. So I think that the parents especially, because that's really, you know, who you're who I'm marketing to, working with a lot of kids, I have to get the parents to understand, you know, who we are and what we do, because like we talked about earlier, they're exposed to so much this, so much that. And the problem with strength and conditioning in a lot of ways in the private sector working with youth athletes, it's the blind leading the blind. You know, the parents don't know. So if the parents right. don't know, how can they hold the trainer accountable who may or may not know? So what do we do? We we try to wine and dine them with flash and all the drills and it looks like speed training so it must be speed training so my thing is the education aspect to where hey they're youth athletes we're going to treat them like youth athletes we're going to work them hard and we're going to progress safely in accordance to what their goals are and where they need to go but I'm sorry if it makes you upset that I'm not going to barbell squat your 13-year-old if he's not ready to barbell squat. The other guy down the road, he might do that. And if that's where you want to go, that's fine. But my job is to improve your child's performance, not improve your child's ego. And if that if that's a tough lesson he has to learn in our gym, I'd rather him learn that lesson in a controlled environment than let the real world teach him that lesson. Exactly. And you actually brought up what I wanted to talk to you about next, which is the aspect of the parents, yeah. right? Which like it, it, when you're training youth, like you said, you're actually dealing with the parents for sure. For sure. a, a great amount of time, out, you know, all of the time outside of when the kids are actually in the gym right, with you. Exactly. So when you are having these conversations, you're dealing with people, like you said, that also just aren't aware and they're just trying to in their mind do what's best for their kid right Nailed like it. I see all this Nailed stuff it. and uh, you know so they're not doing it out of like bad intentions or all. anything but like you said it's it's more about an education standpoint and so where what you're doing and what you're talking about what you do isn't the quote unquote sexy option right, right? do you get pushback in those situations still from like, well, why don't you do this? Absolutely. All the time. And, and, and it's so yeah. funny, you know, and you and you just nailed it. I appreciate what you just said about the parents. They're not, they're not being spiteful and thinking that, oh, you know, yeah. we're going to go out here because we know this is the, they truly think it's the best. And if I were to ask you, you go to the car dealership and there's, there's a truck with the nice flashy rims on it, or there's a beater truck with no rims on it. You and I may not know that the motor in the flashy rim truck is shot, but to the appearance where we're going with the flash over that old mm-hmm. Dodge that's, you know, a Cummins diesel that's got 300,000 miles mm-hmm. on it, but still runs like a champ. You know what I mean? So, yep. so really yep. not to compare children to cars or parents' mindsets to cars. <laughs> right. But, but again, my point is it's, it's, it's all about baseline education because here I am and I want to, I want, I will spend hours trying to go over everything and explain it all. But at the end of the day, you know, kids, They've got six, seven years of really middle school and high school athletics. And some parents, they want obviously what's best for their kids, but they don't want a full lecture. They didn't go to school and study exercise science and all this stuff. And, you know, just tell me what I got to do. I know a lot of kids go over here and they do the cones and they do the drills and they do the hurls. Why don't you do that? So I try to dumb it all down and make it very, very simple to explain the methodology. And at the end of the day, the ones that care to understand and they want to take the time to make that informed decision, they're going to take the time and understand it. The ones that don't, the ones that are going to go either for the cheaper option or the, or the, what I call the volume option where, you know, some of these gyms, they get 57 kids in there and they all go through the same drills. If that's what you want, Hey, at the end of the day, I'd rather your kid be doing that than be sitting on the couch. But at the end of the day, here is why we do what we do and, 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 and take it or leave it. And I don't mean to say that in a brash way, but it's, it's, it's funny because I've found two types of people and I stole this from Zach Evanesh as well. He said, people either are or they aren't. And that's, 
that's really what it comes down to. So the people that want to take the time and learn, I will make the time investment to educate them. Those that are looking for the cheapest option in town or the coolest looking option in town, I've learned just to kind of let them go by the wayside. Not that I wish ill on them, but I've got so many parents and so many kids that are, that are, you know, investing in me that I'm, I, I want to pour my time into those that are desire to yeah. learn instead of trying to convince somebody what they don't want to be convinced on, you know? You're not going to help everybody anyways. Sure. You got to help the people that want to be there doing what you're doing and supporting what you're doing. Absolutely. One, one of the things that is interesting with where youth sports is really right now, and I'm, I'm curious to hear how you've experienced this with kind of tying into some of the conversations with parents, but is this concept of like in baseball, for example, and even basketball, sure. like the AAU oh, yeah. kind of mentality, like are the guys that want to pitch all year long, right? right? I mean, so that's be because they're told like, you've got to do this if you want to get looked at because right. these outside tournaments are where all these scouts are going to be, right? Like this is where you need to be and all that kind of stuff. So, but we're already, I mean, and it, it, it would seem obvious to you and I that are in this business, right? But we're seeing now those kids that are in their 20s and, and already in the pros are injured like crazy two years oh, into sure. their professional careers. And some of them are done right. forever Absolutely. because it's, of it it's, it's and because normal. they didn't. And, and they didn't take the the time to, to build the structure. They just completely burnt themselves out and blew up doing their sport 360 days a year. Sure. Right. So how do you, do you have that, have to have that conversation? Like, are you trying to fight that with parents too? And, and what is that conversation like? Regularly. And, I, and the amount of times I use the term keeping up with the Joneses, you know, just trying to compare <laughs> everybody to everybody and do all yeah. this. Is, it's, it's every day. And again, yeah. I've, I've learned and I've grown a little bit in the understanding of it because when I was a little bit younger at first, I, I and I still think a lot of it is garbage. I really, really do as far as the camps and the AAU and the year-round stuff yeah. and this and that. I've always said, hey, take money out of youth sports and all of a sudden we don't have 7,000 showcases every single weekend. But yep. at the end of the day, it's that keeping up with the Joneses mindset where, hey, Billy's doing that. Jimmy's doing this when we got to follow there. They're doing that. If we don't do that, we're going to yep. miss out. You know, and it gets so, so clouded. And again, let's go back to the parents. They may not understand. They All they want is the best opportunity for Jimmy. And if that means going broke to be able to get him to this camp or showcase that I might think is going to help them, they're, they're, they're going to do it. So again, I'm definitely not the guy that says that every showcase is bad and that year round sports are the death of people and we shouldn't be doing it because at the end of the day, I think in order to help somebody, you have to be able to reason with them a little bit and you have to see things from their perspective. And in their mind, if they are fully in belief that this is the best route for their kid, even though you and I may know this probably isn't best, let's find a way to reach middle ground so we can actually impact right. the kid. Because at the end of the day, zero showcases or 12 showcases, those are both extremes. If you were to do 12 right. showcases a year and zero, those are both extremes. Let's find a way to educate them and maybe pick – four strategic ones. So that way they're still scratching their itch. They're still being able, they're, they're still getting seen and they're still in that tournament and they still got the ball in their hand, yep. but they're not doing it on the extreme end. And then a joke I always make is, you know, and I don't say this, you know, lightly and it's, it's probably true, but there's a kid right now in a foreign country running around on a baseball field with no shoes on, who's probably going to be drafted and get paid millions of dollars to play in the major leagues. And now your son mm -hmm. needs a $900 bat and needs to go to every showcase. Right. Well, well, a kid in, in Brazil is playing on sand and is probably going to end up making it. And, you know, they use the word play yep. on purpose and very strategically yep. because at the end yes. of the day, you're developing qualities that we know that are super important to general development. And the specificity side, you know, not only can it be damaging physically, but I think the people, the, the, the less talked about side is the, is the mental side. You know, people don't understand, well, my, my kid's burned out. He doesn't want to play anymore. I don't understand. We got him all the stuff. He's doing all the thing. What these parents are doing sometimes, and again, they're trying to help, and I appreciate that, but they're tying their identity to a sport. They are saying, you are not Jimmy the kid, you're Jimmy the baseball player. And if you yep. spend years and years and years and years trying to put that into their brain and hardwiring that into them, they, they, they don't know any different until oftentimes it just comes to break and blow up in their faces. And it's just funny that, yeah, you know, I'll have some kids that, you know, 
they're going to make it no matter what, you know, that's just how some of them are. And and, and it's funny that sometimes they're the ones that are the least tied to all the, all the noise of the showcase or the AAU or go to this, go to that. They, they kind of just do their thing. It's whereas the kid who may not be there, he feels like he has to go do all these things in order to earn that same opportunity. And again, I can appreciate the hustle and I can appreciate the effort and drive to kind of get yourself out there and showcase your stuff. But at the end of the day, if that impedes on the development of you as the individual and and instead of only focusing on the athlete, what are we really doing? You know, we understand that percentages are are less than 1% that are going to be paid to play their sport. I love baseball. I love basketball. I love football. But I think the biggest thing is a allowing those to be activities that add value to their lives instead of detract from them and steal from their, their identity. You know, I think that that's definitely a dangerous thing that people don't talk about. And there's two things there that I wanted to bring up the identity piece. I'll get to in a second, but the other part, it's, it's the, it's the thing that, especially as a parent, but it, especially as the kid, you probably don't want to say some of this stuff to them up front and discourage them. But like kind of what you said, the people, you know, probably I would say arguably 90% of professional athletes were going to be professional athletes regardless Bingo. of whatever their background Absolutely. was. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there was no, you know, there was a few that maybe got in there by just being in the right place and they got seen by the right people. Yeah. But the vast majority of those guys, they're on another level of skill and athleticism Absolutely. that most of us don't even understand. Right. Like we, we the vast majority of regular people have not seen what a professional athlete looks like. Oh, for sure, for sure. Do you know what I'm saying? And and the best example I can think of personally was, uh, I grew up in a small town in southern Idaho, and there's a community college that's right across the bridge that has a pretty good baseball team. And when I was, because I think we're the same age, when I was a senior, was when Bryce Harper yeah. dropped out of high school and went to that community college in Vegas for that year. Right. And they came up and played the, the community college in right next to my hometown. So there was tons of people that went to go watch him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because at that point, he was 18. Everybody already knew who Bryce Harper sure. was. And he goes into that. He, they played like two, uh, they played a doubleheader on a Saturday afternoon. And in a doubleheader against one of the best community colleges in the country. He had he went like twelve for thirteen with five home runs, and I mean like it was just stupid. Right. I mean like you're just watching it like you're uh, you are look like you're playing against twelve year olds. For sure, for sure. And he was eighteen at the time, three years younger than everybody else on the field. I mean, so it's discouraging to think about in a sense that you know the the overwhelming odds are that you're not going to be a professional athlete. For sure. And the identity piece of that is something that's really important because. That means everybody else at one point in time, that's going to end for them. For sure. And so if you've spent your entire, as a parent, your your child's entire growing life, or as the kid, that entire time attaching yourself to I am this right. as a baseball player, when that goes away, now what? For sure. Now what are you? And that like causes some real problems for kids when they get to that age. I see it all the time, man. And even my buddies, you know, in college, they, I was friends with a bunch of boys that played football at the University of Georgia, great friends to this day. And they've obviously figured their stuff out now and they're doing very well. But it was like those first couple years after college college, you know, the, the NFL didn't work out for them. And, you know, now they're, do I coach football? Do I get into strength and conditioning? Like football has been my thing since I was 11 years old. Like I don't, I don't know any different. And obviously Mm -hmm. it comes with maturity and it comes with time, but it was a real struggle for them. And it was something that I, I definitely prioritized, you know, trying to obviously be a friend to them and encourage them. But no, it was absolutely so, so true that, Golly, man, there's a lot more to life. You're going to be a you're you're going to you're going to play sports for what a decade plus, and in the the life yep. expectancy in in our country is is obviously growing rapidly. You got a lot of time that you're not playing within the confines <laughs> yeah, of the lines. Exactly. So that's why I'm so adamant about. Hey, I love sports. I think they're great things. Let's try to find a way to develop the life lessons that these kids can take with them outside of yes. the game and apply them to other areas of their life. And you know, that's I attribute so much of that to to me growing up. 
up, you know, and again, we didn't have the social media and the compete with everything. It was still very competitive where I live, but like, right. I don't remember how many touchdowns I scored. I remember, I remember our coach talking to us after, after we threw the interception and we had to come back from adversity and the bus rides and getting along with the kids that I wasn't, I wasn't mm-hmm. friends with and, you know, learning those different cultures of people and how to communicate and how to act and how to see the good and see the bad and understand, you know, those are the things that I remember. And right now it's, if I don't have a division one scholarship, why even play baseball? And it's like, what the hell are you talking about, man? There's so many things that, you know, you can develop and you can learn and see these things. And again, everybody's vision is tunnel vision because now they're focused on, well, that's their goal. Their goal is to improve and and go to the next level. That has to be my goal too, right? We're on the same team. No, you know, so, so again, I think, you know, some of the, some of the parents are obviously seeing through it and still understand the value and they, and they imprint that on their kids. I definitely try to imprint that. But then there's some kids and parents really, and I hate to say it like it's a, it's a, to a fault because again, they don't, don't, they don't really understand or know what they're doing, but man, they're right. really, really turning the tide in a, into a negative direction. And hell, even if you do get that division one scholarship, like we just talked about, I hope to God you make it in the pros, but, but, but odds are, and statistics are, you're yeah. not going to. So let's find yeah. a, let, let's find a way to use the sport to enhance who you are when the hat comes off, you know, and that's, exactly. that's the, that's the real challenge. And that's actually a good segue because we're talking about the, the kids that you coach and developing those lessons. But I want to move into now you've got a two-year-old right. actually of, of today, yes, right? Like today's old. his Just, birthday. Yep, woke up awesome. running a mile a minute, but yes. Awesome. So we have our guys, I, I told you, but our little ones are pretty close. They're only a couple months apart. Uh, mine turns two in June, like beginning of June. Oh, awesome. So awesome. they're not too far. They're not too far apart in age. So we're dealing with a lot of the same stuff. Absolutely. Oh, stuff is a, a nice way to put it, but yes. Stuff. Yeah. And dealing with it is the best way to put it as well. Absolutely. <laughs> like, so in that sense, how are you thinking about, you know, whether or not it's happening at this point in his life right now or instilling a lot of those things for him now in in not only just the the physical and the strength sure. culture right like because we want them to to explore the healthy part of Absolutely. training which is why we love right. it but like what's kind of your process for how you're going to take him along through this or like any following if there's going to be following children in the sure, future no you know? absolutely that's a great question it's it's funny you know i've been able to use my experience as a strength and conditioning coach and working with youth for the last you know 10 12 years whatever it's been yeah and i've been able to kind of see both sides of it what works what doesn't mm-hmm. work what i believe to be healthy what i believe to be unhealthy and i've been mm-hmm. able to use my experience with these kids and their situations and the environments that they've been exposed to. And I've been able to kind of create a checklist of, I want to do a lot of this and I want to do very little of this. So it's helped Mm. kind of empower me to kind of take a little bit of direction. But I think the biggest thing is, and and again, people always ask me, Ray, he's going to be a pro this, a pro that. And I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, and again, not to throw, throw faith into this right out the bat, but you know, my goal is to be able to teach my son to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, that's really what my ultimate goal is. And whether he plays football, baseball, an instrument, no sports, whatever it is, I want to raise a resilient child that does things the right way. And and again, you wipe it all away. I'm obviously going to use, or at least try to expose him to some training parameters and some things that I believe to help me to, to build discipline and to, to understand hard work and effort and those types of things. So again, what I like to do, especially right now being so young, is I he's always watching dad work out. So I'll show him some things that I do. And then, hey, if he gravitates towards picking up the dumbbell, I'll find a way to, to you know, increase that mm-hmm. high drive that he naturally had and, and take advantage of doing what he likes. You know, it's obviously not something as a two-year-old, as you know, that right. is some super, you know, structured and drill sergeant. No. It's really just trying no, no. to find a way that, you know, Hey, I realized one day this kid likes to pick up bricks and go put them on this dog kennel. Well, let me go get a bunch <laughs> of bricks and I'll put the bunch of the, and now he does it. And at the end of the day, 
he awesome. has no idea. He's having fun, but he's, just yeah, he's learning that, you know, okay, here's, here's a goal. And now I've got eight bricks and I want to get eight bricks on top of this mm-hmm. dog kennel. And once I do that, I've accomplished my goal. So what that's has he hilarious. done? He's worked hard. He's proven yep. himself that he can do it. So that, again, that's what I'm at for people think, Oh, Ray, you're trying to build his traps and make him some muscle man. And <laughs> no, man, I'm, I'm trying to get no, the kid to have fun. fun. And yeah, in the process, exactly. without even recognizing it, develop some quality that I think, hey, if we start this at a very young age and he stays with it, I don't care if it's bricks, if it's a piano, whatever it is, but if he stays with it, now I believe those things are going to be embedded or ingrained into his development. And I just think that that goes a long way. And and hey, if that turns into playing baseball or football or lacrosse or whatever he wants to do, then that's that's awesome. But at the end of the day, I I want to raise a winner in life and not yeah. chase some some goal with with a sport or whatever that is. So again, right now, and again, if yeah. I, you know, my wife, I hope she doesn't hear this conversation because she'll be wanting to have <laughs> a thousand kids. But no, it's something that where yeah. my goal is to expose him to quality yeah. things that I think play a part in the in the yeah. large span of life. And then w- when he gets micro with it, at least we can use those skill sets that he's been exposed to and then take those and channel them into the direction that, that he chooses to go. So. Well, and it's such an interesting thought process because you and I being in, in the professions that we are as coaches, right? The reason that I mean, we're using what our medium is to teach these lessons. Absolutely, for sure. Like that's just, it's just because this is what our, our medium is. That's the way we communicate these same lessons. Somebody else would communicate the exact same lessons. Like if it's somebody who's, you know, super, and, and, you know, I do it as a hobby, but like super outdoor hunter guy, Right. right? he would use that world to teach the same exact lesson. Absolutely. So Absolutely. it has, it has nothing to do with the thing. It's the, it's what the value and what it is that you're teaching to the, to the little. I one. always tell people all the time that, you know, training for me, that's my vehicle to reach people. At the yep. end of the day, my goal exactly. is to service the individual. And now whatever my vehicle is, whether that's training, whether that's learning to play the guitar, whether that's, you know, coding on the computer, whatever that vehicle is, at the end of the day, we're trying to improve skill sets to help individuals. And I think that you just, you just nailed it. You know, training, I'm not a smart guy. Like I said before, that's what I know, at least appear to yeah. know. I, I probably don't know half right. of what I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> exactly. I'm using what I know to develop or ex- expose to yeah. skill sets where the guy down the road, he might be doing it with woodworking. And that doesn't exactly. mean that I'm right and he's wrong or he's right and I'm wrong. It's using what A, you're passionate about, B, what you're skilled in to facilitate life advice through the vehicle in which you're, you're competent in, if that makes sense. And there's an interesting, and, and, you know, we'll deal with it more as our guys get a little older because right now they're toddlers, right? Oh, for so, sure. I mean, from a communication standpoint, there's barriers still, oh, absolutely. but the, the concept of like making sure they still enjoy it at this stage right now is really important, Absolutely. right? Like when they're at this play, when they're at this stage right now, it's like, make sure they're doing something that they're having fun doing For sure. because that that's the way they're going to want to do more of it. Absolutely. That, and I think, the, but, but there's something to be said also when they get a little bit older, that doesn't just lean itself to, if they're not enjoying it, they, they, they don't do For it sure. because there's a lot of crap that you're not going to enjoy. Absolutely. And they're, and you know, as kids, we, and, and as fathers too, like we're still, making decisions for them for the majority of, you know, for the entire childhood, essentially. Right. So like there's points where it's like, no, you're going to, we're going to go do this and it's going to suck probably, but we're still going to do it because, and I'm trying to remember who it was. And I can't remember who was thinking about it, who, who mentioned the, the analogy, but it might've been Ronella, Stephen Ronella talking about hunting. And he said, it was like, when I'm looking back on experiences, the experiences that were super fun to me in the moment were never the ones that I remember. He did say that. that decades was later, that was Ronella. Yeah, it was, it was an immediate okay. episode. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it might have been because right. he's like, because he's like, you know, if we're talking about riding a roller coaster, you know, I, it's a, a high level of fun in that moment. Absolutely. But twenty years later, I'm not going to remember sure. riding that roller coaster. But he's like, but I'm going to remember the three days of us climbing a mountain and getting, you know, sprained ankles and rain right. and was, not seeing any animals. And he was with his brother and, and yep, he was sleeping in a tent. Yep. And they had the shittiest and time getting. Poured and on it and sucks, but then ten years later, you're like, man, that was the most fun weekend I ever Absolutely. had. You know, no, it's- and so 
there's that balance where as fathers, you've got to create, you know, you can't just let them run wild and only have fun all the for time sure, for sure. because that's going to lead itself to a lot of what we're dealing with right now with those kids and that kind of social media culture. Absolutely. Right. I mean, that's where it's all leading. And I think that's the reason, you know, you, you drilled it, man. It's become that. And, and you're exactly right. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, I see it in youth baseball all the time. If I don't make this team, I'll just pick up my ball and I'll go and, and my dad will make this team, you know, and it sounds silly, but that, yeah. that, that happens all the time. It happens, it happens. You create teams, you do all this and you're trying to win over everything. And again, like you said, obviously I want to preface everything with recognizing that we have children that are one, two years old. We're not, we're not trying yeah. to create some Navy SEAL jargon nonsense, no. but at the end of the day, Hey, right now it's all about exposure to fun. And then, Hey, slowly, but surely you let the leash up a little bit. And now you do put a little bit of discipline into it, you know, just as an example, yeah. I got my kid a, a sled for his second birthday, a rogue, you know, drag sled. <laughs> He's, he, he sees me pulling mine, so he'll pull awesome. his. And, and again, it's not one of those where I'm going out there with a notebook. We're going to do 10 sets of 40 right. yards. At the end of the day, you pull right. it a little bit. And then, hey, when it gets a little bit a little bit too hard or he's not having as much fun. Let's just pull it another two feet, son. And then you pull him away and you love on him and you, you, you show him yep. that, hey, he did it. And you're, you're, you're facilitating exactly. that growth. But no, it's it's definitely not something to where I'm out there dragging him around like crazy. But, you know, That's really so where I learned a lot of this is, uh, you know, we raise American Bulldogs as well. And I do a lot of work with uh, Bulldogs in the sport of weight pulling. It's basically like powerlifting for dogs. And I do a lot of b- awesome. bite work and things like that. And again, not to compare a dog to a child. But the things that I've learned, especially as a novice dog owner, is I wanted to do everything right now and push, 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 push. Yep. And then you break the dog down. And now all of a sudden, I've, I, my first couple dogs I had, I was fighting them like crazy because here I am, who in my brain knows how what I want to do and what I want to get out of them. But in their brain, I was, I was treating them like robots and not dogs. Yeah. And then as I've grown as a handler, I've been able to kind of understand that, that, when to push, when to pull, the importance yep. of reward, the importance of fighting for another day. So again, coupling my experiences with training these kids for a decade and then messing with dogs who unfortunately can't talk back unless they, you know, are going to bark <laughs> and scream at you. You know, right. I've, I've kind of learned, again, the psychology and, and I've learned that, uh, you know, as much as we want the discipline aspect, I think starting out the reward orientation is very important yep. and slowly yep. instill the discipline. Cause now when I go out to train my dogs and I'm not a perfect dog handler by any, any, any stretch. Now, when I go out, I understand that line and I understand that limitation of this is how much I can get out of them. And when they start acting like this, I start to do this to make sure that they're always, they're always winning. And now the discipline that I'm after with them, they know it no differently than fun. And I, Obviously, with with humans, it's a little bit more challenging because they understand right. a little bit deeper than the dogs do. But I'm trying to I'm, I'm taking the same concepts of, and they'll tell you right, exactly <laughs> a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And, 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 and you find that balance, I think, yeah. naturally. And again, going back to what we've talked about this whole time, it just takes time and learning yeah. the individual. You know, I've got some dogs right. that are very, very high drive and they'll do whatever. And then I've got some that want to shut down and they'll, they'll lay on their back and say, screw this guy. So it's again, finding out what works, you know, whether it's for the dog or for the individual, you've got to be, you've got to have good bedside manner to understand that not everybody is the same. And that's, that's where you take, you know, the time to invest in the person to make sure you're serving them in a way that's congruent with the way that they grow and develop and not just using a cookie cutter format, because while that might work for some, the vast majority, you're going to be spinning your wheels. One and we've got a little bit more time, but I wanted to cover your because we talked a lot about training other people right. and kids and and even dogs. Right. This is yeah, like, I wanna, that in there. That no, that was good. That was cool because I've always wondered like why all the dogs all the, on your on your socials right. and stuff. I was wondering if that that was. Right. But anyways, your training specifically on how you're training yourself because I know that I went through quite a like a, it was almost kind of like an existential crisis, right? Like when my kid was born, right? because I'm I, all of a sudden I've got no time. Right. For sure. Right. So we've got to learn how to create the practice that's going to make it where we're still taking care of ourselves right. and making it worth it for us to do it. So like what has changed for you in your training and what's kind of been your 
recipe recently that you've kind of found that groove where you're still feeling good and, and getting strong? For sure. No, it's an awesome question because I think like we chatted about a little bit before we came on. Um, when I was younger, obviously 16 to 24 years old, living for nobody but myself and having all the time in the world and having resources, you know, I, I did all the German volume training and the train twice a day and spend two, four, five hours a day sometimes doing this crazy stuff. And, and I enjoyed it. But I, it was funny, before my son was born, around 24, 25 years old, I hit a little bit of a lull in my training to where I still did it because, again, I had developed the discipline over the years that, you know, training to me is no different than brushing my teeth. I do it because I'm supposed to, not because I'm motivated or I want to. It was just something that I did. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that I hit a little bit of a wall and I didn't really realize what it was until I kind of figured out, all right, right, you're, tra- you're, you're spinning 60, 70 hours a week training people. Now you want to train yourself 10, 12 hours a week. Eventually, something has to give, you know, and it was one of those things that I think around the same time my son was born, I really, I really picked up on this kind of minimalist concept to where at the end of the day, I'm doing all this stuff. It's worked. But I'm not having that much fun with it, and it's eating up a hell of a lot of my time. Yeah. And then I got into—I'm uh, not sure if you're familiar with Pavel, who's who's you know big on the kettlebell mm-hmm. training, and Dan John, and and these yeah. guys—they had this quote that you know it was just—it changed my life really as far as, as training goes. It said, "How do you know what exercise works if you don't have the courage to remove exercises from your training program to find out which ones work and which ones don't?" Oh, and it's a very yeah, kind of yeah, simple yeah. quote, but I was thinking to myself, you know. I've always done I've always done this because it's been tradition. I've always done, you know, 40 sets of workout because I'm hardcore and I'm this and I'm that a bunch of bullshit. And at the end of the day, yeah. I don't know if that's the best thing. I was doing that because Arnold Schwarzenegger's, you know, book in 1970 said to do it. I don't know if that's yeah. actually it. So basically, you know, to 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 stop rambling, I kind of took a notion of I know that my time is going to be impeded in, in a good way. You know, I'm obviously wanting to spend more time with my son than I do in the weight room. So I've really kind of stripped things down to where instead of doing all of the the extra stuff, you know, maybe that isolation yeah. bicep work or doing the lat pull downs all the time or whatever that is, and I've really wiped a lot of it away. And I stick to the to the fundamentals, and here I go on the fundamentals again. But again, I don't really do anything other than I uh, weird, I, yeah, right? Exactly. I I push barbells, I pull barbells, I swing kettlebells, and I carry weights. You yeah, know, it's really really yeah. what I do. And not only has the time came back to me, I'm training. You know, I train more regularly. I probably train seven days a week instead of four. But instead of having four. 90 minute sessions, I might have seven 38 minute sessions. So I'm able to touch on those things that, that help me to kind of get my fix. But at the end of the day, my training now is about feeling good and preparedness than trying to have 20 inch biceps. Like I was, you know, craving back in, you know, when I was 20 years old. So it's really, it's really helped me to know, I don't have a lot of this time anyway, let's find a way to get the biggest bang for your buck. And, and, and a point that I'll make on this that I think is very important is I think as a, as a younger trainee, and I think this is very common, when you train with all that volume and you work hard and you develop the muscle mass and you develop the strength, at the end of the day, it doesn't just go away overnight. You know, I think you're able to hold on to some of those results. And again, I'm not some impressive bodybuilder figure, but I weigh 200 plus pounds. My arms haven't changed in size in, in six yeah. years. I, I've probably done 50 barbell curls in the last six years and I, I haven't lost it. You know what I mean? So it's right, kind of one of those things right. that once it's developed, I think as long as you're touching on qualities, you know, hey, my max strength might not be exactly where it was when I was at my quote unquote peak, but I'm still a pretty strong guy. I'm pretty fit. I feel really good, which is at the end of the day, I think the most important part. And I've got a lot of time to spend outside of the gym, which I think is, yeah. is super important. So to sum all that up, you know, really it's went from doing everything under the sun to stripping it all away, sticking to what works. And then I tinker with the basics. So again, I might, I might go through a phase where I do a lot of kettlebell work and then I might pull that out and then just go to strict barbell work. And then, Hey, this Mm -hmm. spring I might go a hypertrophy aspect to where instead of doing nine different exercises, I'll pick four bodybuilding movements and I'll increase the volume. But again, my goal is to spend as little time as possible ensuring that I that I reach the goal that I have for the day. Yeah. It's almost that that minimal effective dose, I think, would be the that's best the, way to that's, prescri- that's prescribe That's the it. phrase because especially if you're 
if you're listening to this and you're not, you know, in the middle of this world, like Ray and I are as coaches, right. And we've grown up with our whole lives. Like you've got to look at what is the reason for your training absolutely, and then match what type of training is going to help you get to that. But that you're also, I mean, it's, it's no different talking to a, a man who's 40 and has kids and is trying to train than it is to do these conversations that we're having with 12 year olds. Oh, like we were sure. talking about earlier, you've got to enjoy it. Otherwise you're not going to want to do it ever. And you're going to peter out after two weeks. Absolutely. And so when you're putting all these things together, we're like find out, well, like maybe I like kettlebells, like get a couple of kettlebells. Maybe. Like you can do every single exercise sure. imaginable with two kettlebells. Right. You know Absolutely. what I mean? And so Absolutely. it doesn't, it, it's the same conversation. We don't have to have the flashy stuff uh, to, to be fit. And we don't have to spend 90 minutes training to be fit and strong. I mean, it's just a matter of finding out what you like and what's going to get you to whatever your Absolutely. specific priorities are. And I think that's the, you know, just to speak on the value of a coach is to help kind of segue that, you yeah. know, it's something I see in your, vid, you know, in your, in your screen right here, you've got gu guitars behind you and I could pick up a guitar and I could go and I, I and I don't know anything about guitar guitar other than I like listening to them is I, right. I, I couldn't, I could spin my wheels, you know, forever and ever and ever. And I take this mindset that more is better and spend six hours a day playing the guitar seven days a week. And I'd probably learn something, but if I were to get a professional instructor, maybe, maybe that 60 minutes a day or whatever that number is, maybe that's a little bit better from a standpoint of yeah. memorization and figuring things out and understanding brainwaves, how you connect to strings and things like that. I would much rather have a coach kind of help me through that than sit yeah. here and spin my wheels. And, you know, that's something that I think in the, in the fitness industry, you and I, again, being exposed to it for as long as we have, we kind of figured those things out on our own because I would assume the way you trained 10 years ago probably looked much different than what it does now. And your, oh, your yeah. involvement was a natural process of the exposure to it. But again, I think that's why you and I still have tremendous value to our communities because we're able to kind of help cut the learning curve with somebody that may yeah. not know. And whether that's training, whether that's guitar, whether that's building computers, it, does, it doesn't matter what it is. There are a lot of people out there in every field that have gone through what you and I have gone through in this field and now are able to help you in whatever that field you may be after. And that's why I think the value in a professional coach regardless of the medium can be so important to kind of help you see through what, Hey, me and you might think on the surface that 10 hours of X is important. When in yeah. reality, somebody who's been doing it a lot longer than us might be able to say, man, two and a half hours. It's not more is not always better. It's, it, it's more. And again, I, I exactly. love saying that, but I think it's so true. And I think there's a lot of ways that that can, that can relate to many different areas of our lives. That was awesome. That's a beautiful place to wrap it up. I think awesome, we're already re coming right up on an hour. So thank you, my friend, for hopping on. It was a pleasure. Yeah, and thank I am you. More than sure, we'll probably do a part two at some I point love in it, the future. Man. But I love it, man. I appreciate what you're doing, and uh, I appreciate you having me on here for sure. No problem, man. We'll talk to you later. Awesome. Take care. All right. Thanks for checking out the episode today with Ray. Had a great time doing it. Again, if you haven't been over to nomad-strength.com, go there, sign up for the newsletter. You're going to be one of the first to know when all the new episodes, all the new blogs, all the new coaching programs, eBooks, all the new good stuff that's coming out over the course of the next couple of months, along with some things that I haven't even announced yet. Those on the newsletter will be the first to know. So head over there, sign up for the newsletter and have a good rest of your day whenever you're listening to this and we'll check you out at the next show.